Hello, everyone, and happy new year. Welcome to 2023. Look, I hope you had an absolutely brilliant and festive family filled Christmas. And we're really kicking off the new year with a bang as we're going to be focusing on marketing within a personal favorite area of mine, fintech. On the show, we've got not one, not two, but three CMOs from the fintech space. We've got Abba Newbury, who is CMO at Circa 5000, uh, used to also be ex Habito. We've also got Amabel Polglaze, who is CMO at Hyperjar, ex Zilch, Facebook, and Curve. And last but not least, we've got Alessandro Onano, who is the CMO at Timeit, also used to work in fintech at Money Farm. This month's episode is sponsored by We Discover. We Discover has supported high-growth companies like Carwow, ThreadFi, and many more. And as specialists in paid search and marketing technology, We Discover aims to be the most consistent source of growth for their clients. If you're a scale-up with multi-million pound growth targets or an already big and successful company looking to invest smarter, our friends at We Discover will make a great extension to your team. You can click the link in the show notes or go to we-discover.com to learn more and book a free consultation. On the show today, we're going to learn about raising £23 million Series A in an economic downturn. Does B Corp help with consumer marketing? And does your marketing strategy need to change when consumers have less monthly expenditure? We're going to find all about that and more in the show. So let's get cracking. Guys, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Hello. Good to have you all on. Good to have you all on. Hey, look, so before I guess we we get into things, as I said, we've we've got Abba, uh, Amabel and Alessandro, all the A's and and with Alex as well. There we go. Um, I just wanted to, to get a quick career history today and, and a little bit about what makes your current fintech company unique. So Amabel, because I can see you top left at the minute, you <laughs> kick us kick us off. Give us a little bit of a, a career overview and a little bit of a little bit of information about Hyperjar. Okay, I'll try and make the career history succinct. Uh, I'm ex ad agency, spent 10 years at McCann, then I moved to Facebook, where I was a managing global client partner, and I ran Reckitts for them globally. I thought that Facebook was going to be a startup, but by the time I was there, it was you know pretty much not a startup, um, and it was quite corporate. So I really wanted to go into something that was really startup-y, and fintech was just taking off in the UK. So I jumped into a role heading up the marketing at Curve, which was great, great fun, um, huge time of growth for them. I then moved to a buy now, pay later firm called Zilch, which again grew rapidly. Um, very successful company. And now I'm at Hyperjar. Uh, Hyperjar is an app and a card that lets you control your money digitally. So it's very, very visual. It lets you put your money into virtual jam jars and spend directly from them. So you can share jars with friends and family. You can also spend from them. And it's all about trying to get people to be thoughtful with their spending. So it's not a saving app like an investment app. It's a, it's a, a, a sort of like a monthly driver of making sure that you allocate your money correctly and you spend from those jars. That's Hyperjar. Lovely, lovely. Thank you. Alessandro. 
So I'm um, Alessandro, clearly Italian in London. I'm a, I'm a marketer. I like to think I'm a I'm a digital marketer still, <laughs> but uh, in reality, I as a CMO, you know, you have to deal with uh, all the aspects of, of marketing. I started from um, entertainment industry, then I moved to gambling for a lot of years, uh, and most recently, actually, in the last ten years, I I'm on um, was on fintech eight years on, uh, on on wealth management, and most recently I moved to to, to time it uh, at the beginning of this year, which is a um, it's a credit card, so I'm on the payment space still on the and and time it in particular is a is a credit card that embeds all the feature of the characteristic of the buy now pay later. So it's the is the concept of buy now pay later applied to a regulated environment to a to a credit card. So that's the innovation we bring to the market. Myself, I think uh, if there is something common uh, in my career, I always work for a startup and, and uh, in most of the case joining at the very very early stage is something. Uh, I like to do working on the type of environment, the high growth phase, uh, the the excitement, the the you know the, the up and down, uh, the very little time frame. Uh, that that's that's what uh, characterizes most of my career. What uh, I do. Fantastic, and Abba. Hey, so I'm also ex agency. Began my career in media agencies, then moved to advertising agencies. I'm a fellow McCann um, alumni. So hello, Abba. We have that in common. I then went on to work for Rupert Murdoch at News UK, surviving many career highlights such as phone hacking and uh, possibly one of the most successful, unsuccessful branding exercises in all time because no one knew who News International were until that scandal broke. Um, Then spent a bit of time um, working in Google and YouTube's accelerator program, stumbled into fintech, working for Habito uh, with Mortgage Fintech for five years and then I'm now at circa 5,000, where I've been for six six long months, um, it feels like now. And uh, we are an impact investment app. So we're a bit like a nutmeg where you can put your ISA, GIA, your pension, but we only invest in what we call impact investment. So companies who are genuinely uh, saving the world, fixing those big problems that we need to fix, either related to environmental net zero type issues or social issues. It's definitely uh, not philanthropy. It's definitely unleashing the power of capital for good. And next year, we actually launch our own funds, which is mega exciting. Lovely, lovely. Well, look, thank you, all three of you for coming on. This particular episode I've, I've been looking forward to since the start of, of the second season, just because I've, I, I'm a real sort of fan of, of the fintech space. And I think it's really nice that although you're all in fintech, it's all kind of different, different aspects, different areas. What made you all want to work in fintech? Well, if I can, uh, if, uh, if I can start, uh, in my case, uh, just happened. I won't be honest with you. It's, uh, I've, um, I have a passion for um, consumer marketing and consumer brands. So I, li- I like uh, my mm-hmm. my company uh, to do something uh, very consumer oriented. And uh, when I joined the, the financial service in uh, 2013, there were not not many company doing doing that. Uh, and uh, and uh, Money Farm, the company approached me was. Exactly, trying to do that. Wealth management is a is a market where conflict of interest uh, and uh, and the consumer is the very last focus. Uh, Monifar was trying to to change this paradigm, and uh, even if I knew very little about uh, ISA investment uh, and uh, stock and share, uh, 
stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like the mission of the company. So that, that's the reason why I joined FinTech. And now I believe that uh, still people are struggling with their investment, with their money, with their payment, with their savings, everything. And FinTech uh, is the solution to, to this problem. So that's, what, that's the reason why today I, 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 I like to stay in this market. Lovely, lovely. And from my perspective, when I was thinking of, of a move into startup, the two areas that I thought really, really solve friction and issues for consumers were fintech and health tech. And they're the two that I was kind of looking at. But then I sort of got into fintech and I really liked it because it's sort of so fast moving. I also feel that fintech brands, there are not that many out there that are really strong brands, lifestyle brands that they, that they could and should be. So I think there's huge opportunity as a marketer in fintech to, to, to really drive your brand and, and get huge awareness if you do it properly. Okay. And Abba, what, what made you sort of get into the fintech space? Well, as I said earlier, I stumbled um, stumbled into it, had no desire to work in fintech. But my, the founder of Habito, Dan Hegarty, pitched kind of pitched the kind of founding principle behind Habito to me, which was you know, setting people free from the hell of mortgages. And as someone who is fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it at the moment, uh, to have a mortgage, um, I felt that pain deeply um, and thought if we could fix that, uh, that would be genuinely game-changing, something to be proud of. Um, so that's why I joined, um, I guess, against my better judgment. And it was an absolutely brilliant decision. It's It's been, It's a, FinTech is a blast. And Annabelle is right. There's such an incredible opportunity to kind of tackle major problems and build big, big brands. It's a, it's a very cool space to be in. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, for all intents and purposes, this is January 2023, so I hope you all had a, a Merry Christmas and, and a Happy New Year. But uh, but look, we, we sit here talking in, in obviously mid-December, but as we approach the end of, of 2022, what for each of you has changed the most in your marketing this year? And how are you perhaps looking to rectify or improve it in the year ahead? So in my case, it's a bit... Um particular because I changed the company and the industry exactly at the beginning of the year. So for me, 22 has been different from many points of view. What I will say is that in particular for us working on financial services, you know, the impact, uh, uh, the impact of the economic climate uh, uh, is, is double because it's, uh, you, have all at, uh, you have the impact in general, but also you have the impact on, on your customers. Yeah, your customers are heavily impa- impacted by by what's happening uh, uh, and uh, their finance, the way they save, uh, the how much they have available uh, to spend or to save or to to invest eventually. So that's uh, uh, the change of the mood or, or the sentiment of the people that clearly impact uh, your customer at the same time impact the way you approach your customers, so impact the way you. You do marketing at the end of the day, so that's uh, I would say if there is a big, uh, a big thing, uh, the way you com- the communication side of marketing, uh, uh, content marketing, PR eventually play a, a, a bigger role. So that that's the shift uh, from uh, more performance-oriented marketing, digital or classic digital marketing activity, or even brand marketing to uh, a bigger focus on the communication and PR. That that is the the main thing for twenty two in my case. Okay. Has, has that sorry? Has that changed though because of macroeconomic factors? Because perhaps people are tightening their belts. Have you are you saying that you had to communicate or change the way you communicate with customers differently because of that? Yeah. 
Correct. Yes, that, that's the reason why the, the, the change of sentiment uh, uh, impacted the, the, and uh, motivated a different approach. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Lovely. So at Hyperdar, our focus moved about six months ago from growth at all costs to driving revenue. I think all fintechs have seen this shift this year that in order to you know raise really decent rounds, you need to focus on revenue more than ever. Uh, we had successful fundraising. We're still privately, we have private investors in Hyperjar and we had some, some good funding this year, but we know that going forward, we've really got to focus on revenue. So since June, we've been looking really at fixing any leaky buckets, ensuring our customers don't churn and that they move through the funnel as seamlessly as possible. So as a result, I've beefed up the product marketing team as well as the data team because we're really looking at monetizing our current customers, of which we've got about half a million at the moment. So that that is very much the focus for us. No, that makes sense. And, and even uh, I speaking with a lot of candidates nowadays, it used to be a case of it was never something they brought up, but but more and more of them are now wanting to to know about the company's profitability before they they begin. Uh, recruitment processes with them. So yeah, that I, I think there's a lot of everyone shifting from that mindset growth into that revenue profitability side of things. So wonderful. For me personally, I've had to move from uh, mortgages to pensions and ISAs um, as I only joined Tucker in uh, June. So that's been quite a shift. Learned all the wonders of app marketing. Habito didn't have an app. Okay. Um, so that's also been super interesting. But I guess like Amabel, we've very much focused on on revenue. Um, and what's tremendously exciting is we've got a kick-ass brand campaign to launch uh, next year. So I guess we're one of those we're one of those companies who are going to see uh, economic uncertainty as an opportunity rather than kind of get into our get into our bunker. Lovely. And is that is that circa five thousand? Is that sort of that that kick-ass opportunity? Because I remember you at Habitat. I remember seeing some of the TV commercials. Is it is that more your uh... The creativeness coming from from your side of things, or uh, I have a very close relationship uh, with an agency called Uncommon Creative Studio, who did all the fabulous uh, Habitat work. So um, everything you saw from skateboard art to um, erotic novels uh, was, I guess, all the brainchild of me and Uncommon. I'm very lucky to say that they've come with me to uh, Circa. Uh, no porn as of yet, but it's I've got high hopes for it. I'd, I'd, be, I'd welcome everyone's feedback when they see it next year. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I know you mentioned obviously Habito and, and was more of a web web only type type business, but I know now, as you said, it's app first, app focused, and, and many fintechs in general are app first, app focused. How um, how have you guys adapted your marketing strategies since the whole sort of iOS 14 update? Well, tracking's a lot harder. It ends up being a bit of a guessing game. You know, it's caused a lot of headaches uh, for us in the in the data team and the, in the marketing data team. But it is what it is, you know, and you, you've got to work with it. But tracking has been, I'd say, affected quite a lot. Has it become a finger in the air approach now? or are Well, there... I wouldn't go that far, but, you know, there are times when <laughs> you, you do have to question, do you really understand or believe what this data is telling you? Have you guys experienced that or anything anything different? No, um, definitely. I mean, yeah. It's two years ago. It sounds like uh, <laughs> ages ago in reality. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I remember this happened essentially at the same time of the cookie apop- apocalypse. So it was uh, everything at the same time. And uh, definitely it's uh, tracking is, is different. Last click doesn't exist anymore, more or less. And uh, 
I think uh, there are different. Uh, you need to uh, to to change the way your attribution model needs to change, uh, and uh, the mm. way we use data, we try to use data and, and do more uh, A/B test, uplift test in order to still try to understand what's happening, even if the data uh, are, are not uh, immediately telling you uh, the truth. So that's uh, that's the turnaround uh, we we used for that. Abra, I guess it's interesting for you, given the fact that, as Alessandro said, it, it kind of happened a couple of years ago now. You've kind of, it's it's all you've known, but but has it has it had a, a big impact or is it just, this is kind of all I know? I mean, you clearly for the for the team who are, who are here before me, yes, it's, um, uh, it's had a huge impact. I mean, one of the things that we've really done is see it as an opportunity or I've seen it as an opportunity coming in to uh, be like very, very strong on killing some of the channels that we use that we're finding it difficult to attribute to. So, you know, just kind of really doubling down on things that we know are working. We've also taken it as an opportunity to be less app uh, biased, less app dependent. Um, So you can now, we've fixed our product journey to allow you to get through it further on the web and on desktop, rather than kind of force people into downloading uh, the app to then go through the application process. We kind of see app more as account management and web and app as the kind of application journey. And that's been that's been very useful for us and kind of, kind of liberated us from constantly uh, worrying about attribution uh, because we're getting a lot of that uh, obviously through the, through, through the web and it's very accurate. Wonderful. All of you guys are, are in the position of CMO now. When you first took that step up, what perhaps surprised you the most about the position and I guess was there anything uh, about taking on a CMO position that you wish you knew or wish you had been told beforehand? Well I wasn't a CMO or anyone in marketing before I took my CMO position so okay. I guess it was a bit of a shock to the system on all fronts but I guess the way I approached it was at least kind of treat my agencies in the way that I would have liked to be treated when I was agency side. But the best piece of advice I got when I became a CMO was from someone called, I don't, she won't mind me quoting her, called uh, Katie Van Exmith, um, who used to be marketing director at News, then founded um, a news business called Tortoise and is now just in inbound to Hearst as the new chief exec. And she said to me, Abba, what you've got to remember about marketing is everyone is an expert at their job and marketing. Um, And that really helped me be a bit more of a sponge for feedback and a bit kind of more open minded and kind of less defensive when people go, oh, I really don't think, you know, the vomit of the Habito ad should be kind of that green. And you'd be like, thank you very much uh, for your input. That's very helpful. But it was really, really, really good advice and and helped me understand what feedback to take on and what feedback uh, not to take on. Nice. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I mean, um, more or less on the same page, probably... The big step has been for me from being part of a marketing organization, so being somehow protected. My manager was clearly the, the CMO of the case of uh, to completely change, and your stakeholder becomes non-marketing people. And so that that has been probably the most uh, shocking stuff. <laughs> uh, and and so you need to change the way you you deal with them because uh, they don't speak your language. They don't they understand the acronym. They they understand what, what you do. So you need to. Yeah, to simply change the tone of the tone of voice, uh, you need probably to communicate uh, more different, uh, better, uh, more presentation. So that that's that's the probably has been the, the most 
challenging and, sh- and shocking part of uh, transitioning uh, to a similar role, the, the, the change of, uh, of landscape and uh, having to deal with people that are not necessarily marketing experts, even, even if they believe they are. Perfect. Lovely. I second that completely. When I first joined FinTech, it was more the transition of having worked with big corporations where the clients you had understood marketing going into very sort of small startups where the product designer had essentially created the brand and product designers are great at product design but they're not the best people to create a brand because they have different skill set so I found you know I had to work quite hard to explain and to sell in the you know opportunities we'd have working with proper brand professionals so a bit like ABBA I've got a close relationship with St Luke's and they came with me to Hyperjar and the uh, founders there are are very pro building proper strong brand, which is which is excellent. So that that's wonderful, uh, you know, for someone like me to have that support. But I have found in the past it it's been it's been quite an uphill <laughs> struggle. Alessandro, I've got a specific question for you though, because I know time it raised Series A not so long ago. I wanted to know how you kind of found going through a fundraising during sort of the economic climate that we're, we're in at the moment? And have there kind of going through that, have there been any learns that you feel will maybe help you when going through that again in the future? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I'm uh, during my career simply because I'm, uh, I always work for a startup and during a very early stage, I, I gone through a lot of uh, serious uh, of fundraising and, uh, and, um, this one is, de- is definitely different, somehow special. Uh, and uh, I, I see, I, I see now we started the process, imagine on uh, more or less on uh, August uh, the last year. So a completely different world than today. And I, I mm. saw how along the process, uh, the economic climate changed the, and we, we had to readapt the, the pitch. We, we are, we, we also approached different type of investors simply because the, the, the world was changing and, uh, why or how are we been able to 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 secure this funding uh, which uh, i mean it's 23 million so quite quite a relevant one in a, in a, in a period like this is a, is is staying relevant that that's that's the main thing now now the investor are are clearly investing a bit less on uh, on the dream uh, on the big dream but they they want to see some uh, the meat <laughs> today they want uh, the maybe no, no, it's not about Revenue is not about something uh, concrete today, but they they need to see a, a more precise, uh, a concrete plan. Uh, less while in the in the, the last few years, especially in fintech, we saw investment uh, more based on the yeah on the dream. That's uh, probably explain more uh, explain perfectly the, the concept. So that's uh, and and staying relevant, uh, showing uh, that there are uh, what we are there are concrete reason to believe the story we are. Uh, we are presenting to them that that's that's the that, mm-hmm. that's the way we've been able to secure uh, and and in particular also probably now is more uh, the time for strategic investment in our case it was a strategic investment so the company uh, actually investing on us uh, as a concrete interest on the product we are developing is it's not just an investment opportunity to them so that's probably also one of the key to to facilitate at least the the the, the fundraising process in uh, time in times like this it was Fraser's group, right? That was it's correct. The Fraser group, the which uh, I mean, yes. you have a big merchant group, and you have a credit card. On the other side, is the almost the perfect match. Perfect, perfect, lovely, good. Amabel. Now, from what you said about Hyperjar, I guess it's 
Although it's not a savings account as such, it's still a savings mindset to the consumer. Would that be right in saying? Yeah, no, it is. It is a, a, exactly that. But as the cost of living crisis has got worse, we've got more and more customers because they really need the product. Um, there's a host of features that come with Hyperjar as well. So if you were to commit money to a merchant, say Shell, for example, you would get 4.85 annual growth rate back on a daily basis. So we incentivize people to think about their spending. If you know you're going to spend with a merchant, if you lock your money in, we will incentivize you to do that. So actually, the cost of living crisis, it's awful to say, but it, it's been really good for our customer growth. Okay. So that question is is kind of still relevant then in terms of... Yeah. So how did your marketing strategy shift during an economic downturn, I guess, that that we're in, where people perhaps have less expenditure and and will think about saving or putting money away less? The cost of living crisis has actually helped our business, which sounds awful, but okay. on the plus side, our app and card is really beneficial to people who, who are struggling to budget for the month. We've got a host of features that we've really, really pushed out to our customers like our AGR, 4.85% AGR, which is an annual growth rate you get if you commit money to a certain merchant. We have a, had a lot of traction with our zero FX spend when you go abroad. If you go with Hyperjar anywhere, you don't pay any FX fees at all, including the weekends. And a lot of our competitors charge at weekends. So we've got a host of sort of features that people really benefit from. And given this awful climate we're in, we just keep on pushing those out and educating our customers about them. So there's no set time into, I know you were talking about the putting it into a, a merchant as such. There's no time that they they have to lock it away. They, it's it's flexible in getting it out when, when needed or do they need to? Completely flexible. If you want to take the money out and not spend it with a merchant, you would lose the annual growth rate that you got. But you could take it out after a day, after a year, after five years, whatever. And it's it's very popular with our customers. Wonderful. And and ABBA, I saw that, that Circa 5000 has its B Corp certification. And I just really wanted to, to know, from your perspective, what are the benefits to your perhaps marketing strategy by having that in place, if any? Um, B Corp certification, I do not use it in marketing. You'll see it on our website as a kind of proof point. I expect given what we do, which is impact investments, it's kind of like a hygiene factor to us. If anyone's going to be a B Corp, you would expect someone like Circa 5000 to be a B Corp. Most people in the UK, most normal people, if you, I'm in my Liverpool office at the moment, if I popped out into the street right now and asked people what's a B Corp, they'd say I've got no idea. We don't, we don't use it. Um, at all, obviously, the information is is there. What is nice is B Corp is a fantastic community. So there's opportunities to market to each other and reach out to other fellow B Corp businesses. And we're all very supportive of each other. But yeah, I definitely, you know, wouldn't wouldn't put it in an advertising campaign other than a kind of a short reference point. I think we're in quite an interesting stage as well with B Corp. And I'm going to, I'll, and I'll say this, and I mean it honestly, which is. The rate at which businesses are becoming B cause, I think we are in a situation where we need to make sure that it does not become greenwashing. It is an incredibly difficult piece of certification to get. And I worry that the more it does get used in marketing and say, look at us, we're a good company, we're a B Corp, they will end up being in that situation where we are with so many businesses, finance being one of them, right? 
don't get me wrong, where people stop believing what you say because so many people have said, you know, don't look at the fossil fuels over here, look at how we're investing in clean energy over here. And that just, all that does is create uh, mistrust in in consumers when, you know, both finance and advertising are, are both pretty mistrusted areas anyway. Everyone wants to work, well, I say everyone, I say in the last couple of years, the, the majority of, of, of candidates at all levels that I've spoken to want to work for businesses that are purpose-driven and not just about making money. And I know there's obviously a real big growth in sustainability and clean tech and all of that. I know you've only been here for six months or so. Have you encountered so far any consumer resistance because it's becoming quite a, an area of growth where lots of people are saying, yes, we, we're sustainable, we do X, Y, and Z, or is it not, not at that stage yet? Well, I mean, I think, you know, if you looked at Google trends and greenwashing, you know, it's something that's hugely increasing. Tons of ads have been banned recently. And a lot of, a lot of companies will tell you half stories um, about, you know, one side of their business being really good and their other side of their business not, not being so good. So I think greenwashing is definitely um, on the up and consumers are going to hold that more to account. I struggle with purpose-driven marketing versus purpose-driven businesses I don't think they're the same thing you know it's not our job I don't think it's not our job to uh, be a sort of moral or ethical bellwether for our customers uh, certainly and yeah I just think I think transparency is critical um, for us as an as an industry if if that answers your your question yeah absolutely absolutely thank you I wanted to ask all of you individually but jump in with thoughts what do you guys look for in marketing leaders? So you're, you're C-level at the moment. So we, we can look really anything from a mid-level manager through to head of director, VP, any of those levels. When you're recruiting for those individuals, what, what specific attributes do you look for in those types of leaders? I would say in my case, uh, that's, that's true across the board. It's not just for... Uh leader uh, for every people I, I, I had the opportunity to recruit for uh, for my team uh, today, like in the past, is more uh, rather than a talent. I, I focus a lot in the past in the talent. So the, the CV is the first thing, then is a try to identify the talent. I, I learned how it's more important to, to identify the right personality and not referring the concept of right is, uh, is is not true in absolute term. It's right for the type of organization uh, uh, you are recruiting for. That's uh, for the uh, for the culture of the organization. So the the, the type of personality that can fit in the organization above uh, above the skill set, above the talent, above uh, above the knowledge. That that's pro- so. I would say that's my my, all, uh, my focus now is is focus on personality rather than talent. Okay. I look for customer-centric people, um, and I really, really believe that if you are curious about people, whether it's your internal team or your customers, it really lends itself to you being a good marketer. Curiosity, I look for people who are always wanting to learn. Everything is shifting so fast in marketing at the moment. Unless people proactively go out there and learn about all the new things that are happening, you know, AI, chatbots, big data, et cetera, et cetera, I want people who are really, really curious and, and educate themselves because that's what life in a startup's about. So th- those things are key for me. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I, I think I would just add like bravery, I think is something that we talk a lot about, like 
freedom to fail. I really do think to be successful in the fintech, you need to be brave. I think Amabel mentioned it before about, you know, there's a, there's a constant wrestle between marketing and product for who owns the voice of the of the of the customer. And so I think, you know, you you know, you also need to have the kind of the courage of your own conviction for sure, but also that skill that product people have, which is to use the data and, and make sure you you're using that information. And I guess the other thing, and you know, this was this has really been hard, is how to recruit diverse talent. Mm-hmm. Because marketing isn't as diverse as we would like it to be. I think that is fair. And fintech isn't as diverse as we would like it to be. So one of the things we did at Habito, and I'll be honest with you, it was a nightmare to start with, was we dispensed with CVs and we only recruited through competencies. So we through a series of questions that we thought were relevant to the to the role. And that's how we got to our first pool of candidates for the role. So you literally had no idea, completely blind, no idea if they even had any marketing experience. And that was fantastically interesting for us to kind of widen the pool of people we were we were recruiting in and also allowing talent who'd come from no marketing background to step into marketing roles was also incredibly exciting. Did that happen quite often? In terms of someone coming with no marketing, but really just being able to show that they they had the skills for it. Yeah, in in one of the roles we got, we got somebody. It was not a junior role; it was a kind of a mid level role, and we got someone straight out of university who'd got zero experience, but she was utterly, utterly brilliant. Blew all other candidates away, and yeah, we had a data scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, move into uh, a PPC role, which was also super interesting, having never done that before. So it, it worked, but it is hard work. Yeah, I could. I guess I'd be interested to see the level of responses that you got for each job, though, as well, because because you put sort of barriers to candidates, and especially probably at that time when you were at Habito, it, it was very much in that candidate-driven marketplace. They had the pick of multiple jobs out there getting them to do some work up front before they've even spoken to someone, I would imagine that would probably probably lessen the amount of people that came through. But at the same token, I guess the people that were, were bothered to put the time and effort into it are kind of the people that you want to be speaking to anyway, right? Yeah, but I think that's the, I think that's the danger, isn't it? Which is, it's, I, and I've certainly fallen into this trap, you know, when you're high growth, super under pressure, you're going to just hire someone who's going to fit into the seat and get on with it. And we've, We've got a bigger responsibility than mm. that as leaders of, of marketing businesses and high growth businesses. We have to do the hard thing. And for most people, if you explain to them why it is that you're doing it, they'd be like, yeah, this is great, right? We aren't going to be diverse unless we start to think about things in a different way. And if someone goes, oh, no, I can't be bothered, then they're definitely not the right person to come and work at either Habito or now Circle 5000, right? They've self-selected them out of the process by not kind of sharing your vision. And I think that was the point about being a B Corp. You know, if you're being a B Corp, you're putting, you know, planet and people at the same level as profit. That's got to run your recruitment strategy um, as much as it, you know, runs how you're, you know, looking at the finances of a, of a business. How well did those people do in those roles out of, out of interest? Are you, are you happy to, to share that? Did they, did they were they all do... crap. No. <laughs> All absolute uh, superstars. And in many ways, just because you go through that competency process at the start, you actually are de-risking yourself Mm. in whether that candidate is going to be right 
going forward because the first process that you've kind of gone through is to understand how their mind works, understand how they solutionize, understand how they are going to respond to something under pressure. No, that sounds really interesting. I mean, it's part of obviously when I'm doing sort of more of the leadership searches, the the whole competency and functional behavioral competency questions, they're, they're kind of all part and parcel, but it's more of a, a mid-stage process. So it's interesting to to do it from the off. But I, I can definitely see more companies doing it. But like you said, it's finding the time, I guess, to be able to really think about those questions up front, which I know when it comes to recruitment and time, it's all about, we want someone yesterday, just get someone through the door type thing. So, And that's exactly the tricky bit. And wherever things have gone wrong, the the only person who was to blame for that was, was me for not asking the right questions. So yeah, that's, that's the bit. And that's kind of when you work out whether you are a good leader or a good kind of manager, because you start to get better at answering those questions. Also, I apologize. I use the word solutionize. I do not know what is wrong with me. <laughs> Is solutionize even a word? Have I just invented a word? I don't, anyway, sidetrack. What is it? Back in the day, I saw a, a, a comedy sketch. It might have been Eddie Izzard when I was young. What was it? Uh, he used to say it was 10% what you say and, and 90% how you say it. So you just said it with confidence and <laughs> you created a word. So it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Everything goes. Look, I wanted to finish up today, guys. Uh, one, one or two final questions. What's the main challenge you see for CMOs in this upcoming year? But then also, what are you hoping personally as a CMO to achieve this year? I think we're all feeling the pressure of a possible recession. Every company is. And we'll all face challenges with revenue growth and marketing spend. There's not going to be as much of it next year, let's be honest. You know, so adopting a data-driven marketing strategy, you know, really ensure that every effort is as impactful as possible. That, to me, is like the main challenge for 2023. Mm. And what are you hoping to achieve as such? What I would love to do is to continue to build the brand, uh, build brand awareness, mm-hmm. um, get my ATL funded and paid for, and continue to build the brand as we have been doing, using PR and industry awards, etc. And, you know, hope to just to, to better where we were this year. Wonderful. Alessandro, tell us, what's, what's the main challenge you see for CMOs this year? And then what are you hoping to, to achieve at Time It? Well, I mean, uh, what uh, Amabel just said is is very sensible. And clearly, I think uh, maybe it's becoming more and more relevant. Uh, It was true even before, but now it's becoming more relevant uh, is uh, try to position marketing, not just uh, as a spending uh, (laughs) entity. Uh, We don't do just media buying. uh, It's not just about uh, recruiting new customers. Marketing is just about that. Marketing is... uh, is about creating a, a, a culture within the company. So the, the, I, I believe the main mandate of a marketing organization in a, in a company is about to create this, uh, to build this culture where the the customer is at the center of everything. Uh, so we ne- we need to, to to be the advocate uh, of the customer within the organization uh, uh, on the product development uh, on. Uh, operation and whatever we do and that that's the role of of marketing being the champion of the customer so that's uh, that's uh, and today this is becoming more and more true so marketing maybe is true the marketing budget is a bit can be a bit lower we have a less uh, availability in, the, in this sense but still we have we have um, our, our main job is still there is it, even more important so that's we need to focus even more on on that so that that's uh, is the old challenge, but is is becoming probably now the the, the main challenge uh, compared to to before. And what I hope to achieve, uh, 
in this case, it's more it's more a personal thing. Uh, we we are uh, uh, as a company, we are moving. Uh, uh, we are still a consumer product. We are still a credit card, but the distribution model is changing from a B two C to a more B two B two C. So our our um, my challenge as a, as a CMO is to rebuild uh, a, a new marketing strategy around around this project uh, around this uh, this target uh, is a different positioning uh, is a different uh, target customer uh, is a different branding strategy so that uh, will be the my personal challenge for the next year and uh, this is uh, what we would like to achieve position uh, the, the company as a, as a b2b2c company rather than a b2c as in, uh, just a b2c brand wonderful and last but not least, ABBA. Uh, yeah, 2022 is a year of quite a lot of heavy lifting um, mm-hmm. at the Circa 5000 end. We've done a lot of uh, product marketing stuff, the data stuff, really iterating on journeys, building out SEO, and a, a kind of a lot of that kind of like doubling down on making that performance marketing work hard. 2023 is when we in- unleash ourselves um, on the investment industry, shake it up, hopefully scare the shit out of some people uh, and have a successful new product launch as well. So 2023, we're coming for you. Good, good. And you can all, hopefully, I'm sure you will anyway, stick this episode on in, in another 12 months time and hopefully you've all achieved what you uh, what you set out to. Uh, look, quick whip round, 30 seconds each. As a consumer, where's best to, uh, to look for your product? I know Alessandro with the move, that might be somewhat different. And then also, a quick personal plug in terms of if someone wants to come and speak to you more about a particular uh, subject, what, what's the best way to uh, to get a hold of you? So circa5000.com um, is where you uh, find us. Uh, we're active on LinkedIn as well with also podcasts on Spotify and Apple uh, called the Impact Investing Podcast if you're interested in, in kind of unpacking the world of finance. And you can get me uh, mainly on LinkedIn as Abba Newbury or Packham79 on Twitter. Lovely. Alessandro? So we are timey.com. So that's our, uh, uh, that's our website. Uh, you can also subscribe and, and try our service for free. It's a free credit card for, uh, for everyone that's eligible for. And, uh, me personally, uh, or the company, you can follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, we have uh, our community, we have our, our blog, uh, and, uh, uh, you can follow our news on, uh, mostly on LinkedIn. Wonderful. And last but not least, Amabel. Um, marketing at hyperdar.com. If anyone wants to contact me, I'm more than happy to, to, to meet and chat. LinkedIn, you can, you can hear about us. The app store, you can download the app. I forgot to say that we have a free kids pocket money card that Martin Lewis talks about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any of you out there with kids, please download it. It's free. You know, there's no monthly subscription and enjoy your hyperdar experience. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, look, Guys, thank you for joining me on the show uh, and I wish you all uh, a very happy and healthy 2023. Thank you, and you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this month's episode. If you have anything you'd like to share, then please feel free to get in touch with me. If you've enjoyed the show, then please do leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, you can follow us on our LinkedIn company page or on Twitter using the handle at S-O-O-T-T podcast. Until next time, take care.
This month's episode is sponsored by WeDiscover. WeDiscover has supported high-growth companies like CarWow, ThreadFi, and many more. And as specialists in paid search and marketing technology, WeDiscover aims to be the most consistent source of growth for their clients. If you're a scale-up with multi-million pound growth targets or an already big and successful company looking to invest smarter, our friends at WeDiscover will make a great extension to your team. You can click the link in the show notes or go to we-discover.com to learn more and book a free consultation.